the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We've been journeying through our series, Oh, That First Means That, and in so doing, taking a closer look at some popular Bible passages we've believed meant one thing, but we're discovering that they really mean something very different, aren't we? Today is Session 5, and if you missed any sessions or want to catch up, just go to faithtalk1360.com and search for local program podcasts, then scroll to a word from the word. Friends, I really do hope this recurring opening statement is not becoming a broken record, because the Bible really does have a story to tell us, doesn't it? In fact, it's crying out, it's screaming out to tell us its story. But we preachers, teachers, and pastors, as well as every average Christian, tend to do what? We tend to make, manipulate, even force the Bible to tell our story. And whether we do this knowingly or unknowingly, I still say, shame on us. Well, today's session five is study. What's study in Second Timothy 2.15? And friends, this will be a great exercise in not just learning what a biblical word means and its range of meanings, but also the linguistic options available to translators at a particular time in history. So, today let's hear 2 Timothy 2.15 from the well-loved King James Version, from the edition you probably have sitting on your shelf, desk, or coffee table, which is most likely the 1769 Oxford University Press edition, the standard one used today. Unless you're fortunate enough to own a 1629 or 1638 corrected edition by Cambridge University Press, or a 1611 facsimile edition. Here's 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's also include the 1999 updated edition called the Modern King James Version, or MKJV, which reads, Study earnestly to present yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
as well as the 2004 MEV, the modern English version of the King James, which reads, Study to show yourself approved by God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And finally, let's listen to the 1982 New King James Version, which says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, friends, today let's navigate through five simple steps. Step one, establishing the correct text or translation. Step two, consulting several reputable translations. Step three, weighing the textual and cultural context. Step four, consulting commentaries if helpful. And step five, drawing conclusions regarding the application of this truth to our personal lives in the here and now. But before we sink our teeth into these steps, let me say that the tendency for so many of us, myself included in days gone by, is to play leapfrog over the first four steps and go directly to step five, which I'll condense to looking for the personal application to ourselves or for telling others. Friends, I can't stress this enough, that this is the most dangerous step we can take when reading a verse or portion of scripture. And I think we tend to do this either out of sincere ignorance or worse, because we want to skip the hard work of determining a biblical text's meaning and just steamroll past it to quickly guessing a text's relevance to us personally. Friends, let me illustrate this with a cartoon strip that appeared in a Christian magazine years ago. Picture a home Bible study with people sitting around in a circle or envision this in a classroom setting in your church. The discussion centers on Philippians 1.14. And because of my chains, most of the brethren have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So, in the cartoon's first frame, several people are holding their Bibles, and the leader says, So, Paul says in verse 14, that because of his change, others have been encouraged. What do you think he means? In the next frame, one person says, Paul's writing a letter, right? So, this must be a chain letter, like the one I just got. In the next frame, another person chimes in, No, no, you're missing the point. I'm a chain smoker, and God is speaking to me through this verse to tell me I should encourage other chain smokers. Well, the next frame pictures another person jumping in, saying, Well, it reminds me of that Aretha Franklin song, Chain of Fools. Maybe Paul means we're fools for Christ. The leader buds in and says, um, those are very interesting insights, but couldn't Paul simply be referring to his prison chains in Rome? Well, the next frame shows a few participants holding their Bibles and staring into space with no comment. The final frame in this cartoon shows a few other participants talking, one saying, I told you this Bible study wasn't about practical living. The other remarking, R-E-S-P-C-T, is another Aretha song that ministers to me. Well, there you have it, friends. Don't think group Bible studies don't veer off into bunny trails like that. 
Well, let's dip our toe into the first two steps, establishing the correct text or translation and consulting several reputable translations, these two being linked together. If we wish to do the text justice, we can consult what's called an interlinear. This is really the ultimate literal rendering of a Bible verse. Friends, I hate to burst your bubble, but there is no actual literal translation of the Bible in English. The best literal English translations, sometimes marketed as most literal or essentially literal, are just that, essentially literal, but not purely literal. In every English translation, this challenge remains to establish the best equivalent way to communicate the original language into the target language. And to do this, all reputable scholars and language experts agree that, in some cases, no absolute or perfect match exists. One cannot just say a particular word in one language and expect the perfect equivalent to exist in another language. Also, every decade or so, languages evolve. In that word, meanings morph into other added meanings and usages. This is why some Bible translation committees reconvene every 10 years or so to reevaluate their translation and consider how word meanings have changed and if they should revisit their translation and make some alterations. And another thing, new archaeological discoveries are always being made, especially in the field of linguistics, which impact our understanding of some words in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, giving us a better picture or more accurate meanings of these words. Now, what's especially interesting with 2 Timothy 2.15 is that the original King James Version is the only English translation that chooses the word study for the first word. And even more interesting, the 1999 modern King James Version, the MKJV, as well as the 2004 modern English Version, the MEV, retain this English word study. And while the 1999 modern KJV update adds a qualifying word, earnestly, as in study earnestly, it's only the new King James Version that departs from using study and begins the verse with be diligent. And what makes our seemingly nitpicking evaluation important here, friends, is that in other verses that use the same Greek word, the KJ Translation Committee chose expressions like Titus 3.12, be diligent, 2 Peter 1.15, I will endeavor, and 2 Peter 3.14, be diligent. These varied expressions actually represent the ranges of meaning of the original Greek word, sometimes called its semantic domain. Just listen to how some English words help define the original meaning with expressions as make haste, give diligence, be eager, be zealous, be fervent, exert oneself, be earnest, make every effort. And friends, what's noteworthy here is how we today understand study versus how the archaic meaning understood back in King James's time reshapes our definition in our English Bibles. The archaic meaning of study used to be make an effort to achieve a result. The Latin equivalent includes zeal and painstakingly applying oneself. So, friends, when we consult some reputable English translations, we find these phrases. Do your best. Even work hard. 
Unfortunately, all English translations come up short here, and some are even misleading. Some English translations give the impression that the emphasis is on the actual work of studying. Personally, I think this is how most of us English readers take it. Thankfully, two English versions say be diligent, the New King James and the New American Standard, and these come close to helping us see what is really intended, the motivation and drive behind the work. But even here, this word choice doesn't go far enough, and the distinction is very important. This word in the Greek language is a verb, an action word. At the heart of it lies the idea of being zealous, eager, taking pains, and making a concerted effort, and why the words included meanings are earnestness and diligence. So for King James readers, the intent behind the word study is really not studying the word of God. Rather, it's taking pains, being zealous, being eager to study the word of God. In other words, the contrast lies with the motivation and drive to study versus the actual studying itself. There are some reputable but less popular or less used translations, such as the Jewish New Testament, the New Century Version, and the New Living Translation. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.15 in these. The Jewish New Testament says, Do all you can to present yourself to God as someone worthy of his approval, as a worker with no need to be ashamed, because he deals straightforwardly with the word of God. The New Century Version has, Make every effort to give yourself to God as the kind of person he will approve. Be a worker who is not ashamed and who uses the true teaching in the right way. Notice, however, some translations convey parts of the verse more accurately than other translations. The benefit, therefore, friends, of consulting several translations and investigating the original meanings of keywords or phrases is that we can piece together what this verse is intended to say to us, even in the here and now. I have taught and said often, incorrect interpretation naturally leads to incorrect application. Remember the cartoon strip? So, occasionally we have to do the hard work of establishing and correctly interpreting a verse or portion of scripture. But isn't God's word worth this effort, friends? Isn't the Holy Spirit the primary author and inspirer of the Judeo-Christian scriptures worthy of this degree of respect? It is unfortunate that our English translations here fall short in some way and fail to convey the intended meaning behind the original language and the mind of the author. Remember, in this case, in today's text, the motivation and drive behind the work is to be distinguished from the work itself. Okay, now on to step three, weighing the textual and cultural context. Friends, this is really a fun part of the investigative journey. It's a great day for the Christ follower when one gets excited to learn God's word on this level and joyfully searches the scriptures and the backstories to see if things are really so. And in the case of this Timothy letter, the cultural context is the Apostle Paul instructing young Timothy, who is a young pastor overseeing the Ephesian congregation. 
Ephesus was a city steeped in pagan false teachings, including a false version of Judaism, per 1 Timothy 1, 3-7, a false-styled asceticism, per 1 Timothy 4, 1-6, and an early form of Gnosticism, possibly via mythical stories springing from Old Testament historical accounts that developed into exaggerated Gnostic philosophies, per 2 Timothy 4, 2-5. So, leaders who have been charged to combat false teachings entrenched in our modern culture must not slack off, back down, or give in, but must persevere and tirelessly, diligently, and fearlessly preach and teach the truth revealed by Jesus to the apostles and then to the apostles' own disciples or converts. Friends, any local body of Christ, even yours, is constantly open season for false teachers who prey on the undiscipled, the weak, the unsuspecting members to promote their false religion. We see this in Acts chapter 19 verses 23 through 41 and Acts chapter 20 verses 17 through 31. Now on to step four, consulting commentaries if helpful. Back in step one, we first took a closer look at our English word study since it only appeared in the King James Version. Now, second, here in step four, we'll make use of some commentaries and Bible background resources to learn the backstory for the second half of this verse, rightly dividing the word of truth. The New American Standard says, accurately handling the word of truth. The NIV, correctly handling the word of truth. A newer dynamic translation, The Voice, captures the full verse this way. Timothy, do everything you can to present yourself to God as a man who is fully genuine, a worker unashamed of your mission, a guide capable of leading others along the correct path defined by the word of truth. Notice here, friends, that although the voice is weak in the opening half, it still brings greater accuracy and clarity to the second half of the verse. From our background resources, we learn that the phrase rightly dividing is both a farming or agricultural expression and a construction term. In both cases, the underlying meaning is to cut a straight line. For the farmers, it took on the meaning of cutting a straight furrow for planting their crops. And for construction workers, particularly road builders, it took on the meaning of measuring out a straight roadway. Friends, are you connecting the dots here? Because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this expression was imported into the scriptures. In other words, the Holy Spirit took a term out of the first century cultural toolbox and elevated it to a spiritual metaphor. Now meaning a minister who is a workman for God, whose new role is to make or cut straight paths or roads for the feet of his flock to walk, spiritually that is, 
And this metaphor is expanded to include the idea that this minister of the gospel is to present the truth rightly or correctly and not handle the word of God, our sacred scriptures, as a religious charlatan. In other words, one who pretends to have expert knowledge, but whose teachings only bring strife to the hearers. This is hinted at in 2 Timothy 2.14. Timothy, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. And it's spelled out more definitively in 1 Timothy 1.3-7. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advance God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. In 2 Timothy 2, 14-16, the context suggests that an early form of Gnosticism connected to the Greek mystery religions is in view. Therefore, a true minister of the gospel is one who treats the word of God honestly and fully and seeks to interpret it in a straightforward manner. Recall the Jewish New Testament translation, which says in part, Present yourself to God as someone worthy of his approval, as a worker with no need to be ashamed, because he deals straightforwardly with the word of truth. And 2 Peter 1, 16-21 reinforces the truths that Paul told Timothy. Peter's counsel to the recipients of his letter was, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God, and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And additionally, borrowing from the construction metaphor, a true minister of the gospel must not detour down devious or crooked spiritual paths or take wrong spiritual side roads. Now, friends, let me just say here that some of us don't get off the hook because we think this only applies to official ministers or pastors. If the Protestant Reformation taught us anything, it taught the priesthood of all believers. In other words, every Christ follower, regardless of giftings, is a minister. So, friends, notice how helpful it's been using these steps as a template for properly interpreting Scripture. And in so doing, notice how rich and instructive Second Timothy 2.15 has become. We've combed its depths and drawn out of it incredible treasury of spiritual knowledge and understanding. Well, friends, what's left now is step five. 
drawing conclusions regarding the application of this truth to our personal lives in the here and now. So, friends, I propose that four quintessential questions, 2 Timothy 2.15, prompts us to ask ourselves are these. First, how strong is our motivation and drive to correctly interpret Scripture to the dying world around us, a world steeped in false notions about God? Rate yourself on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the weakest, 10 being the strongest. Second, how diligent or zealous or eager are we to study and share this truth of the gospel effectively? Go ahead, rate yourself. Third, how earnest are we to dig into God's word and know it well so that we can cut out straight paths for the feet of people to walk who are in our spheres of influence? Rate yourself again. Fourth, do we correctly handle or rightly explain God's word to others and not detour down devious or crooked spiritual paths ourselves, taking wrong spiritual side roads? Rate yourself again. And lastly, friends, I suggest you re-listen to the podcast of this program and review these questions and your ratings. Reflect on your ratings and make an action plan for yourself to improve your skills in both communicating the truth of God's word to others, plus combating false teachings that may even be infiltrating your own church. And for a fun exercise, I'd like to suggest you write out your own translation of 2 Timothy 2.15, utilizing the things we've learned in our investigation of this text today and benefiting from the five steps we discussed. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write to me. I so appreciate those of you who write in and share your feedback. And remember, friends, the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com under local program podcasts. And please keep in mind, friends, that a word from the word is a listener-supported program. This program has not been immune from the challenging financial and economic times we're in right now. So please consider financially helping to keep a word from the word on the air with your kind support. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends. If you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.